All right, as you're taking your seats, go ahead and open up to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Well, the title of this morning's message is Danger Ahead. Danger Ahead. And we've all seen the signs, haven't we? You know, high voltage or flammable gas, rocks falling, animals crossing, strong currents, and things like these. You know, I was thinking about this on my drive in this morning, just my drive down, and I saw these danger signs, and I just started to take notice. And the the first one said uh, overhead wires, and the next one uh, said uh, slippery when temperatures are below zero degrees. And then a little bit later on, it it, it was a a picture of a big truck coming out of a hidden driveway. And then finally, I I saw a a pole in the ground, and on it, it it said uh, gas line beneath. We, we see these signs all around us, right, warning us of danger in this world. And we're thankful for these signs. We're thankful that others go on ahead of us and, and they post notice for us to see so that we will know that there's danger ahead. These signs help us to make sure that we're prepared for the environment that we're about to enter. They call us to be attentive and aware to what's going on around us so that we can be ready to steer clear of that which brings harm to us and and to our loved ones. Sometimes we see uh, individual signs that have multiple warnings on them. I was thinking of that this week. You know, maybe it's at the beach and there's several items on the list or maybe it's in certain workplaces. I I just did a quick search online and I I saw one sign that was for an abandoned mine and and it had this to say, it said, unsafe openings and high walls, deadly gas and lack of oxygen, cave-ins and decayed timber, unsafe ladders and rotten structures, unstable explosives. That's dangerous, isn't it? Yeah, we need to be careful if we're going to go in there. And some of you are thinking, why would we go in there? Why in the world would we go into a place like that? But listen, the fact is, danger is inevitable. We have to go in there. And the, the in there that God's word has to tell us about this morning is the days we are living in. They're dangerous, Paul says. And in this portion of his letter to Timothy, he, he tells this young pastor, he says, the age you're living in is going to be dangerous. Ministry is going to be tough and there's going to be spiritual imposters out there that you're going to need to stay away from and keep others away from too because they hurt people. You know what, church? We're living in the same days as Timothy. So we need to pay attention as well. Look down at your Bibles to chapter 3 and just read along with me. The word of God says this, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, Not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. 
For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. This text before us presents us with many dangers, many warnings that we need to be aware of this morning. And the first one is in verse 1. It's this, be prepared for troublesome seasons. Be prepared for troublesome seasons. Paul says, know this. Every day, know this. Keep this realization before you. Hard times will come. You may have noticed that this paragraph, this chapter begins with the word but, and so we know there's a contrast going on here between what we just read and what came last time, last week, what comes immediately before at the end of chapter 2 where Paul is telling Timothy, listen, you're going to have opposition and you're going to have people who are wanting to engage in foolish, ignorant controversies. Don't, don't get into quarrels with them. Uh, be, teach them. Be patient with them and, and be gentle. Correct them, hoping that God will lead them to repentance. And that's the, that is the hope. And yet, what we see is that is um, not always going to happen. Wouldn't it be nice if everyone who opposed the truth responded to correction from godly people? But opposition will continue. There will be trouble, Paul says. You may have also picked up on the the last days that he mentions. and We just need to make sure that we understand correctly what Paul means here when he says, in the last days. You may remember in Acts chapter 2 that Peter, when the Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, said that this is a, the fulfillment of prophecies, the last days are now here. When we look at, at Scripture, we see that the last days are not just some days far off in the distant future, but they are the days in between the two comings of Jesus Christ. Began when Jesus came in his earthly ministry and, and he lived his life and, and died on the cross and was raised again. And, and culminating at the end when he returns and everything in between is characterized by scriptures as the last days. And Paul says, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Listen, church, everything is progressing on God's divine timeline. And we need to make sure we are thinking that way. We are understanding this as the word calls us to this morning. Everything is progressing forward toward the coming return of Christ. And you and I need to live our lives in light of that daily. We need to think in these terms. We we can't be like those who who just think, you know, the world's not really going anywhere in particular and and I'm invincible and, and everything's basically just good. No, we we need to remember we're living in the last days. That the king came and and gave his life as a ransom for many. And he is coming back one day to judge the living and the dead. 
We are on a divine timeline. This is what Paul puts before us first this morning. Remember that you're living in the last days and there will be troublesome seasons in these last days. It's going to be hard, and this isn't news to us. If you've been with us this summer as we've been going through 2 Timothy, this is what Paul wants Timothy to know. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be a lot of trouble along the way. You know, as, as you ride on this airplane of life, there's going to be seasons of turbulence. There's danger in the world. People are going to cause you trouble, Timothy. This is what Paul is saying. And there's a certain kind of, of dangerous people you need to watch out for. And he describes these people with what we just read as quite a lengthy list of, of identifying vices. And he says of these people, they have some kind of outward appearance of godliness. But in actuality, they're far from it. This brings us to the second warning here in this passage that wants to alert us to the dangers that will come in the last days. And it's this, be attentive to counterfeit spirituality. Be attentive to to counterfeit spirituality. There will be dangerous people in these last days. And these people, they're going to want you to think that they love God, but really, they only love themselves. They love themselves and they love money. They're so in love with themselves that they're proud and arrogant. They, they take God off of his throne and they set up a throne for themselves instead and they sit themselves up on it and, and not only do they think that they're better than everybody else, but they demonstrate it with their boasting mouths as well. They abuse people. They have no respect for authority, not for their own parents nor anyone else who wants to tell them what to do, God included. They're not thankful. They're not devoted to the Lord. They, they don't love other people. They're certainly not interested in forgiveness or peacemaking. Instead, they slander, having no self-control. Basically, you know, Paul says that they're brutal. That means they're behaving like wild animals. They don't love what is good and right. They're treacherous. They're traitors. And without any forethought, they rush headlong right into what most people would later regret. That's what it means to be reckless. They're just puffed up with conceit as they're ruled by their ungodly desires, being lovers of pleasure. And then get this, the end of verse 4, rather than lovers of God. See, it's not that these people kind of have a problem because they're struggling a little bit with sin and they're, they're not loving God in all the ways that they ought to. No, it's not that at all. It's that they do not love God. They only love themselves. One writer said, these people have chosen self-interest rather than the will of God as their standard operating procedure. This is just the way they live their life. This is how they think. This is how they breathe. Me, me, me. I want people to think I'm godly, but I don't really care what God says. Now this is a weighty, extremely serious list of, of sin, and we, we need to really understand what's 
going on here. You need to understand verses 2 through 4 as as having a a big picture, a big idea in view. It's it's meant to be understood, it's it's intended to be understood in in a broad scope, as as a composite picture of a life just ruled and dominated by, by sin. This, this is Paul's point, that, that when love for God is replaced by love for self, many other vices will also flow. See, if we, if we think of this list as, as a book describing a, a life of, of sin and, and rejection of God, you know, while every page in the book is important, what's most important is the introduction and the conclusion. Just, just look at the very first thing. In, in verse 2, people will be lovers of self. And then the, the opposite book end at the end, rather than lovers of God. You could just underline those two descriptions there and then everything in between is just the, the outflow of those things. When, when we love ourselves and we don't love God, we're just prone to a life full of wicked, evil debauchery. By God's grace, not everyone who doesn't love God is um, spiraling out of control, right? There is a grace of God that restrains evil in this world. Praise God, thankfully. And yet at the same time, there are those who, who just, they do, they spiral out of control and one sin leads to another and to another and to another and, and before you know it, you have this picture that we see here of someone that is very, very dangerous to other people. The kind of person that Paul is describing here is a big problem. In many ways, of course, and for this main reason that they don't love God, they only love themselves. And they're exceptionally dangerous because they come with a facade of spirituality. So God's word alerts us. We're called to pay attention to this counterfeit religiosity that isn't the real thing. And Paul says, listen, they're going to show some form of external religiosity, but they're superficial. They're fraudulent. They're not the real thing. And their lives will prove that they surely are not led by the power of the Spirit. They deny its power. Even though they appear godly, they're not. In Paul's letter to Titus, he, he writes something similar in, in chapter 1 and verse 16, he, describing these kinds of people. He says, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Now you might be listening and reading along this morning thinking, you know, okay, but I see some of myself in this list. What does that mean for me? Well, this is an appropriate response to Scripture. You know, we, we always ought to hold up the Word of God as a mirror for our own soul so that we can examine our own character. Realize this, that when we choose to sin, this, this is what we need... If you are in Christ this morning, what you need to to see when you read a list like this is that when you choose to sin, 
that really you are choosing to abandon in that moment the love of God for love of self. But you say, well, I I truly do believe I love God. I want to honor Him. I I want to offer my life to Him as a spiritual service of of worship. And yet, some of these things on this list, I, I can look like that sometimes. That's true of me, for sure. But listen, the, the one who truly loves God hates this about themselves. Is on their knees before the Lord saying, cleanse me, oh Father, forgive me for my sin. Wash me clean. Help me to know your path, oh Lord, that I might walk in it. No excuses. No justifying. No comparing to others and saying, well, I'm, I'm not as bad as them. Repentance, ongoing daily repentance before the Lord is the mark of a godly person. We're not perfect. We're striving. Hopefully you are striving in the Lord to to live in a way that is blameless and honoring to Him. And yet you, you, you know that you fall short as I do too. And you're dealing with it. You're asking the Lord for help, for change. That's not the picture that's being pointed here. There's a difference between living in a pattern of heinous sin, not listening to God or anybody else, and seeing your sin for what it is and desiring to change. Perhaps you're sitting here today and you're hearing these things and, and if you're truly honest with yourself, you might admit that as you look at the mosaic of, of the picture that's pointed here, it does actually look very much like your life. Maybe not an exact fingerprint, but the two are, are quite close. And you ask, is there any hope for me? I mean, my, my thoughts, these are my thoughts. My, my speech is like this. My actions are like this. I, I actually think that I don't really love God. Or maybe you know you don't love God. Listen, you need to hear this this morning. There is reconciliation available to you. You can be forgiven by the blood of Christ. That's what we've sung about this morning. However you are living today, you can turn and you can come to God and you, and you can come to the foot of the cross and, and no matter how much your sin abounds, the Word of God says grace abounds all the more. God's grace is undeserved favor. And that comes and shines through most glorious most gloriously in the forgiving grace of Jesus Christ offered to sinners. You don't deserve favor from God, but He's willing to extend favor to you this morning. This is why the message of Jesus Christ is called good news. All our sin, all our guilt, taken upon Him in exchange for righteousness as a standing before God of forgiven There is a cleansing in Jesus Christ. So if this is you this morning, come. Come to Christ. Trust Him. Trust that the Word of God is true when it says that all who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be washed from their sins. For those who won't change, judgment remains. Among those who keep keep on living this way, who don't just 
act like this, but are this. That's what it says. They will be lovers of self because of their evil motives, because of their facade of wanting to appear godly. They are so dangerous, and we need to take notice. We need to be careful. God says to those who who would be godly, he says, die to yourself daily, love me and love others. These people say, no thanks. No thanks, I want to love me. I'm going to live for myself. Instead of serving others, I'm going to trample over them. Instead of speaking words of encouragement, I'm going to tear them down with my tongue. Instead of making peace, I'm going to make war. Listen, this is misdirected love and it's dangerous. And it's dangerous, of course, because of one's own standing before the Lord, but, but it's also dangerous to other people. It's dangerous because of the multitude of interpersonal problems that are caused by someone who thinks and behaves like this. It's dangerous because it, it utterly corrupts the truth, doesn't it? It twists God's gospel design for his people. I was thinking of Paul's other letter to the Corinthians where he says what many of us remember, bad company, what? Ruins good morals. It's dangerous to be around people like this. It's dangerous for unbelievers. It's it's dangerous for non-Christians to encounter people like this who appear to be godly and yet act and behave and and think and, and speak in these ways. And unbelievers look at them and they, and they say, this is godliness? This, this is spirituality? So God says, watch out for them and stay away. Stay away. Avoid such people. This is the next warning on this danger sign. Be ready for necessary separation, Paul says. Be ready to get out of there, to avoid them, to to steer clear of this danger. Avoid such people. Three little words with a multitude of, of implications. Avoid such people. Literally turn away and have nothing to do with them. They think that godliness is some kind of masquerade party. Don't play that game. Listen, what do, you, what do you do with poison? What do you do with wild animals, wild fire, ferocious beast? You get away. Right? You don't want to be anywhere near that stuff. It's, it's too dangerous. And, and here is where we see for sure that Paul's not merely talking to Timothy about some far off last days. He's telling Timothy in the present, avoid these people. Danger is here and now. These charlatans need to be separated from. They're, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. They might talk about God. Maybe they even quote scripture. They might even attend the Sunday morning worship service. But it's just an outer shell. It's not authentic. They don't love Jesus Christ and they have no intentions of following His ways. Their spirituality is a farce. Have nothing to do with these dangerous people. And maybe you're thinking, well, wait, what about the above 
passage. What about last week? What about chapter 2, verse 25, where it says correcting his opponents with gentleness? That's the best case scenario. Correct them with gentleness. Call them to repentance. Draw attention to the fact that they are not of the Lord. They're not truly godly. Perhaps God may grant them repentance. That is what we want. And yet now, Paul transitions to the worst case scenario. They don't respond. You've confronted them. You've, you've gone to them. You've called them to change their ways and yet they're content to just keep on living in sin. Sin that is, is so destructive and leaves so much damage in its wake. Now it's time, he says, to avoid such people. And Just turn in your Bibles a few pages forward to Titus chapter 3. We see something similar beginning in verse 9. Paul says, Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Looks like Titus was having some of the same kinds of trouble, difficulties in these last days in Crete as Timothy is having in Ephesus. These are the last day's dangers. And they'll arise in varying degrees at varying times across the ages. And we need to be ready to. We need to be ready to know when it's time to avoid someone who is walking in, in such heinous disobedience to God and wants to make a show of godliness. How do we do that? Well, first, just really quickly to get this one, of the way, this one out of the way, uh, with today's technology, uh, for some, it just means turn it off. right? Don't, don't watch uh, those people on YouTube or, or on the television. Don't listen to them on the radio. We'll come back to to some of these. Now, if it is somebody that we encounter you know, in close proximity to us and, and, and we deem that this is who they are, there are some ways we need to avoid. And then the first is this, with clarity, not silence. And here's what I mean by that. We, we need, if we're going to avoid somebody because they, they are making a complete mockery of the faith and living in, in willful disobedience in many ways and affecting many people with their dangerous habits. We need to tell them why. We, we, we don't just all of a sudden stop avoiding them and they, they don't understand why. We need to tell them why. This is how you're living. I've called you to repent and you're not, so now I need to stay away from you because you're dangerous to me and you're dangerous to the church. You're dangerous to my family and you need to repent. How else could we avoid People using biblical principles, well, with hopefulness, not final condemnation. See, when, when we cut somebody out and we say, okay, I can no longer spend time with you. I can no longer have these discussions with you. I can't eat with you at my table anymore. We, we need to, it's, it's not a, a final judgment where never again. It is always with the hope, if you come back, if you turn from your evil ways, 
If you repent before the Lord, then I look forward to having fellowship with you one day. Uh, A final way to avoid these people, to, to obey this command of God, is this biblical principle, with community, not on our own. We need each other in this we, we need to know, am I seeing this correctly? Is this person really uh, as serious of a person, of, of a problem, of a danger that I need to avoid them? Does, does this uh, verses here, do these verses apply to this individual? And we need to, to ask godly people in our lives, and, and if, if especially if we think it's someone in the church. There needs to be elder involvement in this. Because listen, let me just make perfectly clear what we're not talking about here. We're not talking about, you know, oh, oh, this person over here says, well, that person was arrogant to me last week. I'm going to avoid them. That, that is not what Paul is talking about. There is no place for avoiding within the family of God. Everybody, is everybody crystal clear on that? If this is happening in the church, it is a big deal. Everyone ought to know about it, and they need to be avoided. We can't just make this decision on our own because of personal offenses. This is where I see maybe two contrasting errors when it comes to thinking about this command to avoid such people. The the one is to just start avoiding anybody and everybody who doesn't live up to our standard of righteousness. Everyone and anybody who who sins against us. That That is not what Paul is saying. Now on the other hand, the flip side of this is, is the error of not following God's command at all to separate when necessary. This is here. It's in our Bibles. We, we need to make sure if it's applicable that we obey. You know, some don't like the idea of avoiding people, even people who are described by this list because they think it's unloving. Listen, it's not unloving. It's obedience to God. Some people don't want to avoid such people out of fear. What, what will they say about me? What will they do if they're already doing this to me and I'm not avoiding them? If I start avoiding them, what might they do to me next? Well, listen, that is not a good reason to disobey the command of God. We can't be afraid of them. We need to fear the Lord more than we fear them. Trust the Lord that if we do what he says, he will honor that. Some don't want to avoid these people because of a, of a feeling sense of hypocrisy. Well, if I'm on this list in some ways, how then can I accuse another of being someone who needs to be altogether avoided? Okay, that's, that's a good thought, but, but this is what God would tell us. Deal with your stuff, deal with your sin, and then go and talk to the other person. And if they won't do the same, and again, if it's a case as serious as we're reading about here, putting on the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, not loving God at all because of a lifestyle and a pattern of sin that affects others, then they need to be avoided. They have secret harmful aspirations. Did you catch that? Look at verse 6. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Here's the next danger. 
Be aware of deceptive strategies. Be aware of deceptive strategies. These, these people have harm in mind for others. And they're sneaky. Here Paul kind of narrows things down a little bit. He's talking about this larger group of people. That's how he talks about them. They're, they're people. But then he says, among these people, there are those who do something even worse. They're an exceptionally dangerous type of person. They have these, these strategies, and one of them is that they sneak up on the foolish. They sneak, they sneak up, they worm, they creep, right? That's what it says. They, they worm their way in, slowly maybe, and, and secretively. Like, like a wolf who's devoured one sheep and then taken its, its outer coat and put it around him and then finds another sheep all by itself over here and, and just slowly walks over and says, hey, you want to be friends? I'm a sheep too. It's deceptive. Now, um, this is not saying that all women are weak, by the way. This is describing a specific kind of woman. You, you might have another uh, translation in front of you. It, it might say weak-willed women. It might say gullible or idle women. You could even translate this silly women. And then the, and then the, the proceeding list actually is talking about the women here. They're, they're the ones who are burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. The women, these particular women, are the ones that are always learning but never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. These are the ones that are being targeted Right? See how these, these men, they, they're crafty and they're looking. Who is most likely to let me in and to not notice what I'm doing? And they get in there and they, they, by deception, they gain control. They, they get a grip and capture these weak women who are weighed down with guilt and shackled by sin. And instead of telling them what they need to hear, that they need to renounce their ungodliness, these people come off as though they have some kind of complex spiritual knowledge. Right? This is the babble. This is, this is the irreverent babble, the, the foolish controversies. See, these women, they're always learning. They're, they're listening to all kinds of quote-unquote teaching. But they don't have any discernment. They're seeking enlightenment around every single corner. They're reading every book. They're listening to every talk show. But they can't come to a knowledge of the truth. They can't get saved is what that means. They're hearing all these philosophical theories from these, from these wolves, but they have no understanding. They're unable to hear and to accept the life-giving good news of Jesus Christ. Because these religious hucksters are coming around and they have ulterior motives. You know, it's very reasonable to conclude that in this context and, and because it's just the women by themselves and because these, these people love money that they're going into these homes and they're, they're looking to have inappropriate physical relations with these women and they're looking to get money from them. And yet all the while coming off as, as so they're so godly, so spiritually mature. 
<clears throat> There's a lot that we could say here. Maybe I'll, I'll say this. If you're burdened with sin, then the answer is Jesus Christ. If you're weighed down by various passions and, and you're burdened with sins, then you need to come to Jesus Christ and you need to repent of your sins. And you need to accept His forgiveness and follow Him. If you're always learning from everybody, everywhere, maybe you need to be more discerning. You need to be careful who you let into your house. You know, Satan has them everywhere. He has them on the internet. He has them in the, in the television set. He has them on the radio, even on Christian radio. He has them in, in quote-unquote Christian bookstores. He has them walking up your driveway and knocking on your door. Be careful who's creeping in and what you're allowing to influence your mind. They're sneaky. They're deceptive. And we see also that they use a bag of tricks. Look at verse 8. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men who are corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. Who, who is Janus and Jambres? You know, if you look in your concordance, you're not going to find those names. They're actually not in the Bible anywhere. But reliable sources, extra-biblical Jewish sources, tell us that it is a long-standing Jewish understanding that these are the names of the two magicians that opposed Moses in Pharaoh's court. They mimicked Moses' divine power and then in, in Israel they became symbolic of opponents of the truth. They were the ones who, who you know, could also throw their staff down and make a, st- a snake come. They're hucksters, right? They have, they're magicians with tricks. They appear to be doing some really super spiritual power. But they're devoid of the faith. They set themselves against the truth. They're depraved in mind. They're not thinking straight. But they're tricky. They they come and they, they open up their Bibles and they say, hey, let me show you something here. And it looks really spiritual, but it's actually opposite to Paul's message and and his teaching and his gospel. So we, we need to learn from God's word, as Timothy did, that this is a game of charades, and it cannot save, and it only leaves damage behind. Of course, they're not saved. They don't have any real faith at all. They're disqualified, and what they teach others is fraudulent, and will disqualify them as well. Be aware, Paul says. This is who they are and this is how they operate. And and we need to understand that all that glitters is not gold. All that appears to be godly is not godly. All that appears to be truth from God isn't necessarily so. We need to examine and make sure. And if there's any quote-unquote spirituality out there that makes allowances and exceptions for the kinds of sins we see on this list, then it cannot be godly at all. We need to be careful. They use deceptive strategies. What difficult times. What difficult times. It's not hard to see why Timothy needs a couple of letters from the Apostle Paul, is it? 
why he needs encouragement to keep on keeping on in, in ministry where there's people who are utterly opposed to the Lord and yet cloaking themselves in, in this fake righteousness and wreaking havoc in, in and around the church. These are dangerous times. Tumultuous times. But look at verse 9. But they will not get very far. They will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Finally, Paul says there's danger ahead, but be steadfast. The Lord is sovereign. Be steadfast because the Lord is sovereign. See, these men, their ultimate failure is assured. 100%. They they may make a dent, but they're not winning the war. We're in the midst of a spiritual battle, and yet God will prevail. All of their folly, all their counterfeit spirituality, their deceptive strategies, all of it will be uncovered in God's timing. We, We don't necessarily know how or when, but we know this. It will be plain to all. One writer said this, absurdity and fraud eventually overstep their bounds and thus expose their folly. I thought that was so good. Absurdity and fraud eventually will overstep their bounds and therefore thus expose their folly. Made me think, you know, speaking of Moses when he says your sin will find you out. Just like these two men, right, who for a time could reproduce what Moses was doing, but then there came a time when God said, okay, no more. And here comes the plague of the gnats, and they try to reproduce the gnats and, and nothing. And I'm sure the Egyptians must have been thinking, like, come on, let's see it. And they're maybe just kind of looking at the ground, like, I, I, I don't know. And then comes the plague of the boils, and, and they, these, these men have boils on themselves too, and they're utterly exposed for who they truly are. It's only a matter of time, God says. My truth and my people will triumph. This helps, doesn't it? This, this verse 9, so, so glad it's here. It, it helps us when we, when we know how much danger we can be encountering at different points in our lives as we follow Christ. This helps us to be reminded, be steadfast, be patient. The Lord is sovereign. Keep at it, church. Be prepared. There will be troublesome seasons. Be on the lookout for counterfeit spirituality. Be ready for that necessary separation. Be aware of their deceptive strategies, but listen, wait on the Lord. He's sovereign. Jesus Christ said, I will build my church. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus will save his people. 
these men, although there's, there's, there's danger in the world and although there's different seasons of turbulence in and around the church, God's will shall be done. I will build my church. I came. I came according to the divine plan to give my life as a ransom for many. I came for my sheep. I will rescue them and bring them home. I will protect them from the danger. This is our joy. This is our hope. And this is what we remember when we celebrate the Lord's table.